This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. Smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more. All right, so we have Dr. Rod Coffin on the Small Business to Grow podcast on stories worth sharing. Dr. Coffin, tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, um, I grew up in Iowa. Uh, I went to Iowa State uh, University and I uh, got a degree in uh, political science and history. Uh, then I got a degree in uh, uh, exercise physiology. Uh, my first job after uh, college there was coordinator of fitness for the Saudi Air Force. Uh, when I was done with that, I came back, went to the University of Iowa, got a PhD in sport administration, uh, worked in the athletic department for uh, 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 several years uh, in several positions. Uh, then I uh, took a position as a professor uh, on a one-year uh, contract, and then I was hired at uh, Northern Illinois University. Uh, as a uh, an assistant professor. Um, during that time, I got involved, a friend of mine actually that I met in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, got me involved in uh, teaching the uh, uh, three-day uh, weekend courses for certification in uh, uh, personal training. Uh, did that for two companies, two organizations. And uh, then uh, because of my fitness background, my uh, uh, physiology background and stuff, uh, I regularly teach an, a, a scientific basis of human activity class at NIU and uh, been here for 27 years. So if we walk through the degree, so bachelor's degree was poli-sci history, master's degree was exercise science based. What was the master's degree in? Uh, exercise physiology. So exercise phys, and then you're, you, you have a PhD in sport law? Sport. Sport administration. I, I, my expertise is in sport law because uh, as an undergraduate in political science at Iowa State, we had an undergraduate law program. So, Okay. And, and kind of one of the things that I wanted to bring you on and talk about is, is the role today, and it has continued to evolve and change, but kind of the role of, of academics, formal education, maybe at the bachelor's, master's level, and then how that gets melded into you know real world application for sport for fitness health wellness careers and jobs and where the the certifications fit into that so now you you know you you've got an interesting story with having done stuff in Saudi Arabia and then a master's degree and then a PhD at a couple different schools and then from a teaching standpoint and how long have you actually been teaching at NIU uh, this is my 27th year at NIU. I taught a year at um, Idaho State, and then before that, I was teaching uh, classes at Iowa, just uh, not in sport management, mostly fitness and things like that. Uh, during my PhD as a graduate assistant, and and so that background, you know, you've got almost three de decades of time in the field, if you will, but that background is kind of combining health, fitness, exercise with the business side on the sport end of things, whether that's at the, 
you know, semi-professional, professional level, or even just the business side as it comes to owning, operating, managing gyms, fitness centers, et cetera. Now, what's, what's interesting is you've, you've been in the industry long enough in academics. So there's no doubt like the, the role of academics has probably evolved. And, and I would have met like all things do in life, but 25 years ago, 20 years ago, there was probably more benefit to the student coming from the formal academic education, right? Uh, in general, I would agree with that. Just because um, I would say that edu higher education has gotten weaker during that time. I think there was, a, uh, our field wasn't as big. I think there was many more opportunities to get experience uh, while you were getting your degree. And that's, to me, that's critical. Uh, you can't, you can't function without experience. And, and I kind of, you know, I, I would argue that the post high school, so higher education probably hasn't gotten weaker. It's just, there are many other opportunities that provide a learning environment that we didn't have 20 years ago. And oh, I think that yeah. both of them are, are necessary. And then there's no, there's no replacing the experience piece. Right. The uh, idea that you can be 16 and get a personal training certificate kind of negates the idea of any kind of need for higher education. If you want to go into being a personal trainer, I think uh, the higher education is more in the management if you want to do something more than just uh, be a personal trainer. And that to me, the certificates uh, are weak uh, in that they don't really teach you a whole lot about physiology, biomechanics, things like that. It's mostly about the superficial stuff and the uh, kind of the more psychological, social psychological aspect of personal training. With that, you know, one of the issues becomes a 16 year old can get certified as a trainer. And what does that actually mean? Right. And there's no body overseeing it at the state level. When we look at state licensure for uh, things like dietetics mm -hmm. and whatnot, uh, athletic trainers, we don't have that for personal training. And, and to be honest, I, I think that's probably a good thing because it invites bureaucracy. But that right. being said, you could still have a 16 year old that has supposed credentials and maybe not the skill set to do the job. Right. But you can also have a 40-year-old doing the same thing. The problem I had with the weekend personal training courses that I taught was, in many cases, I had a lot of people doing group exercise, and they were probably pretty good at that. They were certified to do that. They wanted to expand their repertoire. And so what they did is they got the personal training, and then they walked up to me at the end of it, and you know, they'd say, you know, now what do I do? I don't know anything about weightlifting or exercise. I know about group exercise. And but, so I think that is one of the main problems with that whole industry is that it's just a certification because uh, uh, they think they need it. Uh, gyms think they need it because of insurance. And, it, and there, there's little to no barrier to entry. And right, then at the right. same time, there's no about $300. And, and then there's no overseeing body that sets the bar right. at a minimum and says, you, you have to clear this bar or you can't be certified. Yeah. And, and I don't know that, you know, that I, again, I would struggle with who decides where the bar goes, but that being said, uh, having familiarity with the, the alphabet 
three, four letter certification acronyms without naming any. And you, you know this because you and I have talked about it. Some of the material in the weekend seminars and the online seminars is outright incorrect, but the students have to learn it incorrectly to pass the certification exam. Right. And that creates, you, you know, another whole issue because some folks don't realize that it's incorrect and they'll go into the field and, and practice as a personal trainer incorrectly. I beta tested one of the exams uh, that was going to be pushed out as a certification exam. And I beta tested it and probably 50% of the beta test was wrong. <laughs> so uh, that to me, that was a real problem because I never saw the exam after that. I don't know if they changed anything. So potentially you could have individuals like those group fitness instructors that are new to what we would call our label personal training, learning things that are incorrect and, and having no way of knowing that. Right. Right. Yeah. I and, mean, it's in there. They put it in there uh, because they also try to sell a book to study from, they put it in a book. And so now uh, it's, it's a lot of it is old information and uh, you know, um, that's, so it's in a book, so it must be right. And, right. We're and they the don't change it because that costs money. Right. That it's going to be a huge cost. Right. So looking at, you know, we have, you know, you've been on both sides of the, the table from the certification. You've proctored, instructed the weekend, three-day live events when they've done those. And, and by the way, anybody that's done certification online, it, it's no different than what you would do in the online program. It's just right. an intensive three-day and you have an instructor and yeah. you've been on the, the formal education side and the colleges and universities. What, like, what is the path to being successful? When you look at students that have gone through your program, kind of what, what is the, the better way? Well, I, I think I would prefer to have somebody with a degree in exercise science uh, because they under, they've probably taken anatomy and physiology uh, they take them biomechanics, so they understand uh, those kind of aspects of of human movement uh, and and the physiology part. Um, also, during the time that they're there, hopefully they've worked at either at the university rec or uh, at a local gym or something like that to learn how to deal with customers. Uh, and also, uh, because there's a lot of different customers out there, and. Uh, they also get to figure out what their niche is. Are they going to work with older people? Uh, are they going to work with athletes? Uh, you know, and go more into the strength and conditioning uh, uh, profession, uh, which is much more uh, formalized and writing programs and things like that for entire teams. But uh, the thing is, is I've also seen people without a degree that did self-study and figured it all out themselves. And like you mentioned in the, at the beginning, there's so many different avenues right now to educate yourself, whether it's through uh, YouTube videos or personal training courses from other people besides the certification people uh, that give you a bigger aspect. I, even just watching, uh, you know, uh, Chris Bumstead is huge right now. People watching him do his workouts can see a different aspect of, of working out and different ideas. So I, I think there's a lot of avenues, but personally, I would prefer somebody that understands the body. Well, I think so. there has to be a basic understanding of, of human movement mechanics, yep. 
and, and we can attach anatomy, physiology or, or whatever, I guess, technical academic term, but you have to have an understanding of how the human body moves. Uh, from an employer standpoint, when we had our brick and mortar gym, and for those that, that don't know, I mean, we had 70 some employees an equal or greater amount of interns. And what I can say for me as the employer, one of the greatest assets I looked for, for a potential coach or trainer was what's their personality. Mm -hmm. And then do they have a basic understanding of movement and, and can we teach them? Because a lot of the coaches and trainers would come in and they might have the academic piece and a certificate and some did especially our interns. Most of our interns had finished their formal bachelor's education and many had already obtained some type of certificate, but they, they lacked that field experience. So they kind of had right. the tools in their toolbox, but they had no idea how to use them. And, and we kind of taught them that. So the experience thing and good social skills were, were huge. Yep. No. And, and, and then that, like I said, a lot of the certification, uh, addresses that in general, but it, it, it isn't, in, in my mind, it isn't adequate. You actually have to work, you have to work with a difficult person. Uh, you have to work with an older person. You have to work with a, a, the cocky, uh, you know, 18-year-old uh, guy who thinks he's a, a big shot and he really isn't, doesn't know anything about lifting uh, or exercise and things like that. And and if they hire you, you have to be able to individually work with them. So the experience piece is huge. And, and what are your thoughts on personal experience? You know, not everybody needs to be an Olympic medalist in Olympic weightlifting. Not everybody needs to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the physique world. Not everybody needs to be a world record powerlifter or have won CrossFit games or something like that. But what is your thought on the person having individual experience? Well, I, I, I look at the gym I'm at right now. Uh, probably 90% of the people that are getting personal training are over the age of 65. If you do not know how to work with an older person, uh, especially maybe a person that's uh, had some physical problems, either uh, uh, illness or injury or whatever, you're going to fail there because you're going to push that person too much. And also understanding their psychology is they're afraid. They haven't worked out before, especially a, a generationally women didn't work out in, you know, 60 years ago uh, with weights. And now you're introducing that to a woman and, and she's worried about getting bulky. She's worried about getting injured, things like that. If you don't understand that and working with that individual group, which is also varied, uh, you know, because you'll get somebody, you know, I'm not 65 yet, but you'll get somebody like me that does know something, but I also want some motivation. I already know some stuff and I may be cocky about it and, and directing me to, for a program, but the biggest problem, I think, is if people haven't done it, they don't understand the, yeah, we call it in management, we call it emotional intelligence. Uh, you don't understand what motivates that person. And we've seen that where their son or daughter bought them personal training for Christmas because they want their parent to get involved, you know, and get healthy. And that person will not exercise. And so they just, they're almost mean to the personal trainer. If you don't understand that and you don't take it personally, but if you do take it personally, 
you're going to get very upset about it. It's not personal. But if you understand that it's not personal, you can probably actually change that person's attitude. So I think the psychology part of it is also real, real important. And just the sociological aspect of it as well, dealing with a, a diversity of people. I believe that from a management standpoint, you should be leading your staff, the people on your team in a way. And, and we did this. I did this very deliberately all the time. It was real simple. If you had somebody of retirement age, you never put them on the gym floor. Why? Because they would look like a beetle flipped upside down on its shell trying to get right. up. If you had somebody that was very overweight, you didn't check their their body fat with skinfold calipers. Why? Because they already know they're overweight. Right. You already know they're overweight. The majority of the world can look at them and know they're overweight. And we also don't put them on the floor because they will struggle to get back up. And that was from experience by design stuff that we taught and led our team so that when we did have customers come in, we did everything we can to proactively prevent somebody from having a, you know, if there's, if they're 22 years old and they're functioning as a coach or trainer and the client's 70, there's a five decade gap. And in that five decade gaps, a lot of life experience that that 20 some year old just doesn't have and doesn't understand. So it was our job to fill in that gap for them and say, Hey, right. here's some things you don't do. Uh, we wouldn't do box jumps. Right. Why? Because yeah. the benefit, the upside for middle-aged people was negated by the risk. So we just didn't do it. Like we don't, we don't need ruptured Achilles tendons. So right, right. we don't have, we don't have people that are over the age of say 24 doing box and depth jumps. There's no, that the benefit is outweighed by the risk, but that comes from experience. And I think but I also I, I also think it's important because uh, in, with a lot of my students are going into uh, ticket sales in uh, professional or collegiate sports. The one thing I tell them is if your organization doesn't train you on a regular basis uh, to give you ideas and, and uh, newer ideas and, and to direct you on how to do be more successful, then you shouldn't work for that organization. And I think the idea that you did that is different than most organizations because they're just gyms. They just hire whoever and they don't care about their clients. Well, and you, you, you're not just a gym. You're, you have a business to run. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, just like every other business under the sun, regardless of industry, you need to behave that way. And that includes being an effective leader. Right. And building systems that allow everybody on your staff to be effective in their role in the organization. And, right. and, and, that's, and you're going to build that client loyalty and respect by that. Right. That plays into the, the blue ocean idea. You know, every in every business and in every industry, if you can be in blue ocean, meaning it's just your organization, you have a competitive advantage. If you go and behave like everyone else in the industry, it's no longer blue ocean. It's crowded. Right. And even down to, you know, we did little things like our staff had to wear business casual attire and look like they were physical therapists. Right. Even though they were working in just a gym. Why? Because it imparted that we were not like the other gyms. One of the things I would say about the, the your blue ocean example is the idea that if as a business owner, uh, if you don't niche yourself, if you don't know who you are, like you said, you made everybody look professional. 
if you're a meathead, Jim, and you don't do personal training except for uh, a few clients, that probably isn't as important if you don't want to gener uh, generate revenue from personal training. But if you do, your staff better look professional and they better act professional and they know their stuff. And that's where that whole mix of what we just kind of talked about, the idea of, of dressing differently, presenting yourself differently, and also having a training program goes into the mix to make you a unique organization compared to the meathead gym. Even, even our clients that are in the coaching and training space, I, I teach them very early in our, our working relationship, the value of having a dress code for your yeah. staff. And one of the reasons is quite simply when a customer walks in and they look around, you want them to very quickly be able to differentiate who the other customers are and who the staff is. Right. And, you know, I, I've got a, a coaching business that they, they provide in the field coaching. So it's not always at their facility. And one of the first things we did was get everybody on their staff to have a branded appearance. Mm -hmm. Now what they're doing, the, the business casual golf polos would make zero sense, but we found industry appropriate apparel that could be branded. And when somebody walks in, you know, they could be working with 40 athletes and if somebody walks in, they can immediately pick out the three coaches and trainers. Right. So if you have a new customer, you have a leader, a prospect that shows up, they immediately know who to ask for help. They immediately know who to go for to for more information or whatever it might be. So I, I, I think that's huge. Even if you're a meathead gym, not interested in selling service by way of personal training, there's huge upside to that. And then no, I would agree. Is, you're a professional one. If you right. dress professionally and you're branded, you're a professional at that organization. And there's, and, and along with that, you know, it increases your earning potential. You're able to ask a higher price right. for your service because you look different. There's a million things that play into it. Plus that niche piece, successful businesses narrowly define and focus on a niche and that's all they do. Uh, we've, we've interviewed business owners that have been extremely successful in their industry, done podcasts and webcasts with them. And more than one has found great success and business growth and opportunity by, by doing less things. So continuing mm -hmm. to niche, 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 niche. Uh, it, so it's, it, that's something that, you know, if you're going to be successful, you have to be doing now looking at that. So we tie this back to the certification and the, in the bachelor's master's experience, this is what we're talking about now is probably behind experience, the biggest opportunity I see for people that want to get into the industry of, of health, fitness, training, even sport is these things aren't taught in the classroom. You're no. probably not going to sit many uh, bachelor's masters or even PhD classrooms are going to talk about things like the blue ocean and then give you firsthand examples one after the other. And I could probably spend the next 60 minutes giving examples where we've helped clients do that. So if you're sitting out there listening to this, you want to find out how to be better at what you're doing, or maybe you want to get into this, th those are some of the things you need to begin to understand. Now, one of the things I bring into my classroom is my experience in the uh, the intercollegiate 
business of, of sport and how to manage people, how to lead people. Um, and then uh, from my legal standpoint, the idea of risk management in both, uh, you know, the physical part as well as the uh, kind of the management part. Uh, uh, and without that, if I hadn't been out in the real world, I wouldn't un un understand that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't have had bad bosses. I wouldn't have had good bosses in order to give those students the idea of this is how you lead people and this is how you manage. So, no, I completely agree. And that too, when looking at, and you and I have talked about this over the years, you know, the value, like in your case, bringing speakers in from industry right. to the classroom at both the bachelor's and master's level and let them share their experience of how things have really gone in their part of the industry. I think that's priceless for the students to hear. Right. Now, I just had a, a former student of mine from uh, 26 years ago who has been CEO of a uh, sport company. And he's currently, because he didn't like it, he, he's more employee or oriented, as he said. Uh, he's a uh, or the senior vice president of a uh, uh, sport media company and uh having him come in and you know essentially just say this is how it works this is how you're going to get a job in the industry because my students want to get into either professional or, or uh, uh collegiate sports you know i mean i agree it, it, they're the shortcut so in in looking at so for again for those that are are maybe tuning in or watching this you know your opportunity is going to be you're going to need to get the get the credentials, but you you have to have the experience because that's what's going to make you marketable. Yeah. I mean, in our industry, uh, and even the personal training, if you really want to work at a, a, at a top gym and make good money, uh, if you don't have anything on your resume uh, to, to bring to the company, you're less than a dime a dozen because there's so many people wanting to get those jobs, the top jobs. And bringing that back, that's where, you know, kind of I was going before. I think there's value. Not everybody needs to be a bodybuilder or power lifter, right. compete in the CrossFit games or, or do Olympic lifting as a competitor. But I think there's tremendous value when somebody has gone through, set the goal, followed the process and had the opportunity to learn personally by going through the steps, what it's like. Right. And, and an example of that is I was a... Um in my high school days, I was an Olympic lifter, competitive Olympic lifter. And then I got uh, uh, CSCS, uh, Certified uh, Strength and Conditioning uh, Coach uh, through uh, the uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association. And because I had that, I was able to go ahead and work with uh, uh, intercollegiate athletes to teach them, one, the Olympic lifts, but also how to apply those motions into how to uh, be successful. And the one guy I worked with, he was a, a thrower. He doubled his distance in one summer because he hadn't been trained to do it correctly. And, you know, that was invaluable to his success as a, a collegiate athlete. In looking at that path, part of that, or one of the early steps was you having done the Olympic lifts yourself. Right. Which led to the CSCS, which, by the way, if you want to work in academic or ac collegiate athletics, you want to work for larger health groups, health systems as a, as a coach slash trainer, you're going to have to have the CSCS. 
Great. Now, for for most, it's not going to make you a better coach or trainer, but it's kind of like having a bus ticket to get on the bus. If you don't have the ticket, they won't let you on. Yeah. Um, but it, in your case, if you hadn't had that personal lifting experience, you probably wouldn't have gotten the CSCS and you wouldn't have been able to coach collegiate athletes on proper movement mechanics in the Olympic lifts. And that person right. wouldn't have doubled their throws. Yeah. And, and uh, you mentioned earlier, just the lack of uh, kind of professional expectations through the certifications for personal training. Uh, that's a much higher one. Uh, you have to have a degree uh, in exercise science or uh, that area. And uh, you take a very uh, rigorous, you take a two level test, uh, both a physical test uh, where you have to direct coaching as well as a, a written test. So it is a much mo a more uh, higher standard. And typically uh, it's reserved for more the, the uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches uh, at universities or professional sports right if you don't have that they won't let you they'll, they'll right right you, you can't uh, it's, and, it, it's required so and i and i don't i mean that that four-letter acronym just like any of the other ones i don't think it necessarily makes the trainer a coach unfortunately no. but no. it does create a barrier to entry where you won't you have, have to have a lot more six, knowledge you, well you won't have that 16 year old showing right. up to deliver the service and and not right. that a 16 year old couldn't because there certainly might be one that can but that being said for the most part most 16 year olds won't have um, the wealth of experience that somebody that has attained a four-year degree and passed the exam for the cscs right so i do think that there, there is some value in having a standard even with my club and you know this i don't remember the guy's name and if i did i wouldn't say it but I had somebody ask for years, like twice a year, if he can come work for me as a trainer. And I'd ask if he was certified and he'd tell me, no, it was too expensive to get certified. As a business owner, I would look at that and be like, well, if you're not making, willing to make a minimal right. investment to demonstrate that you're willing to make an investment, I, I don't, what else are you not willing to do? Like, I don't have right. room for you on my staff. Right. And because it's $300. Right. If you can't raise three hundred dollars, you, you probably don't want to be in the industry. And you can't raise three hundred dollars. That's going to allow you to get a thirty right. or forty hour a week job. In which case, you're going to make that money back in a few days of work. Well, I don't. Again, I don't. I don't have room for you on the bus. If you get on my bus, you're going to under deliver to my customers, and I'm going to have to get you off my bus. Right. Exactly. So it's going to be a, a liability in the long run. Correct. So I, I completely agree. So experience, experience is huge. You're one of the few people there. There's a handful of professors out there that, that I've, I've been invited to go in and speak and not because they've just brought me in, but there's some that bring people in. They've never asked me, but I think that that gives the students a better opportunity. I think getting that internship experience is huge. And even if you're, you know, if, and I had people ask to come shadow me and it wasn't part right. of any formal anything they just wanted right. to learn like if you want to be able to have greater opportunities in the industry in the industry is any industry go volunteer and ask if you can shadow somebody for the most right. part people won't tell you no right and in fact i gave that advice uh, uh, to yesterday to a young lady who uh wanted to go into development uh which is fundraising at the university level and i said 
contact the development officer here in athletics and say, hey, can I hang out with you? And, and uh, that's the only way you learn this stuff. No, and that's the only you way can't you teach become it. marketable. And exactly, it's you're not going to have, even if you could teach some of that, you won't have enough hours, course hours dedicated to that one specific thing right. to really make you effective because everybody in an educational program isn't going to go into that. Right. They need to get, they need to learn what they need to learn too. And even we had a client last year, she wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate level. And I told her, I'm like, you, you're going to have to have USAW. You'll have to have CSCS. You need to get in a master's program. And ideally the setup is as follows. Get your USAW certification get your cscs certification she already had a bachelor's degree so she could go through the cscs material and sit for the exam and then get in an athletic program and get your master's degree and have the university plug you into athletics so you get your degree for free right and she didn't know anybody at the university i said that local university i said just go on their website, look up each person, call every person in athletics on the coaching side of things and send every one of them an email and keep doing it to get someone on the phone. When you do that, ask if you can come check out the place, tell them you want to learn about strength conditioning and start showing up, then start volunteering. Well, over the course of, I think we started the, con we started the conversation like two years ago, but last year in January, we revisited the conversation. She's like, I'm ready to go back. So in like last January, we set the wheels in motion. And over January, February, March, April, May, she was making phone calls, emails, had some site visits. May, June, she was showing up and volunteering. August, she's enrolled in the master's program, is working in athletics. She's getting a tuition waiver and a stipend. And she's functioning as one of the assistant strength coaches. Right. But there, it all started by asking. Steps. You have to do it. Yeah. You you have to be willing to do that. And I, I think that's, you know, when I look at, and I had one of our, one of our testimonials said it, you know, two, two sport division one collegiate athlete, bachelor's degree in related field of study, master's degree related field of study totally capable at working with people, coaching, training. They'd done it as a division one collegiate athlete, but the missing link was the business piece. Okay. What do, what do I do with this? And right. that's, that's where we came in and we had a robust onboarding process for new hires and, and we developed that person and, and taught all of the, the business pieces. Here's how you do sales, marketing, advertising, right. customer service, whatever. But that's that continues to be, I think, the shortcoming and the, the greatest opportunity is is the business side. And the only way to really learn that is is to get out there and just like the other stuff, get get experience, go volunteer. Right. And I think uh, the professors that don't bring in uh, people from industry, whatever industry it is, if they don't bring them in. Uh, they're probably pretty arrogant about what who they are. They probably went bachelor's, master's, PhD. They think they know everything, but students aren't gaining the uh, 
the second element of a degree, and that's knowing people that have experience and, and learning from people that have already done the job. And, so. and not only that, if that has been the path, bachelor's, master's, PhD, yes, you have the formal education and in, in the academic background, but the world, things are changing so fast. And you, like yeah. you and I have talked at length about this sales, marketing, and advertising. One, I don't believe you can teach sales. You can teach sales theory, no. but someone either is happy it. to sell or they're not. But then the, the marketing, the advertising, we look at internet marketing and how fast that has changed. Mm -hmm. I've asked a lot of the professors teaching courses related to sales, marketing, advertising at bachelor's, master's, the MBA level. If you ask them if they know who Russell Brunson is, if they know what ClickFunnels is, if they know who the Wallbacks are, if they know what Infusionsoft or Keep is, it's crickets. They, mm -hmm. they have no idea. And that's the future. And ironically, um, the last couple of weeks, I've noticed ads on Facebook for master's degree in online marketing. And I don't know who's teaching these courses, but they've probably never done much online marketing. And, and by the way, anybody that's interested in learning that, you can just go buy one of those softwares I just mentioned and start. And you'll learn for real on cutting edge technology. Right. Well, the problem with higher education is that we hire professors. I feel inadequate sometimes, and that's why I, I tend to bring in people to the class because I haven't been in the industry uh, that I'm teaching uh, for uh, 20, uh, 28 years now. And so I, I want to keep in touch with that. And especially if it's an industry in technology, they're 15 years behind by the time you know something new comes around because they've been tenured and they haven't been in the real world. And some of the pieces might not change. Like when we look at sales, right. the basic advertising marketing, you know, you'll have right. leads and prospects and you need to convert them to sold paying individuals. We then call customers, but how we do that today is radically different than how you did it 25 years ago. Right. And that is the problem is uh, higher education tends to lag. Uh, I think you get basic tools, uh, but the actual use of those tools is critical and that's experience. Yeah. There's no way you're not going to shortcut right. that. And, and I think uh, one of the things that uh, is happening in education uh, post high school education is programs like yours uh, where I can hire you and you educate me uh, or, you know, Google university or whatever it is. Uh, is coming up with certifications that are cutting edge. They're what's going on right now. And and uh, they bypass the university system because the university system, again, is 15 years behind. In the industry focused, relevant, current in real time ways to do things. You know, I, I we have a, a client. We did this in our in our brick and mortar, but I have a client right now, uh, training gym. And I'll share this and people, you feel free to reach out and ask me how to apply it to your business, but it's simple. Let's say you're selling a membership and there is another facility selling memberships and you have people that are members at the other facility that want to join yours. 
but they have three monthly payments left. So they have three months of contractually obligated payments. Well, one of the ways we remove that is a barrier for them. If they want to join our, our club, what I teach my clients, they want to join you. They want to sign up for coaching and training with you. Sign them up today, but don't start their payments for three months. Great. And then in, and you can take them out of the marketplace. But those are things that probably aren't being taught in the classroom. You know, yeah. I learned that from doing it. And, and I learned that because I asked somebody in a totally different industry for their best practices. And they happen to be running a big box retail store. They were the GM of a very large big box retail store, you know, one that does tens of millions of year in revenue. And he said, yeah, every one of my, every one of my employees has up to this dollar amount. So if a customer needs that to do whatever they're trying to accomplish, they can gift them that dollar amount. Right. And so we, we took that, modified it, made it our own. And now I teach clients to do that. Right. And, and so that's something that, that hybrid training gym, that boutique training studio, the personal training studio, the small gym that's struggling they can come hire me and I'll teach them something like that. And like, I have a client right now that's gutting their competition and that's how they're, they have a better product, better service, better price point. And we remove the last barrier, which is, well, I already have three months left over here. Great. Come on over. Start Great. today. First payment, 90 days. Welcome to our place. What are top three things young people need to do and top three things they shouldn't do? If you're in the fitness industry, you should look fit. So you should practice what you preach. I think that's the base. We've always had uh, uh, the debate of would you hire a, a, an overweight personal trainer uh, that's going to tell you how to look fit and, and uh, you know be fit? I, I personally wouldn't because they're not practicing what they're preaching. So I think that's important. I think um, formal education is important. So whether you go to a degree program, whether you uh, uh, hire a consultant to help you or whatever, and then the informal education, uh, I think is number one. And that's getting actual experience, reading on your own outside of any kind of formal education, uh, watching YouTube videos, and, and uh, because there's a ton of them that give information. There's a guy named uh, Sean Nelwani. Everything he does, he does a, a, a you, he has a YouTube video. He has his own business and stuff, but I listen to him all the time and I'm not even in the industry, but I want to improve the way I work out. And he gives advice of how to do that. Uh, I just changed the way I did lateral raises, uh, side lateral raises, because the signs showed something different than what I was doing. And so I think that informal education is, is uh, uh, even more important sometimes than the uh, the formal education where you sit down in a classroom uh, because you're getting the latest stuff as opposed to, again, like we said, the university lag uh, of information, which is just more generalized stuff. What about three don't do's? Three do not do's. Do not do. First and foremost, don't think you're going to get rich right away. And you know this, you know, you started out literally as a personal trainer. You didn't start your own gym. And in many cases, I think people think, well, I'm going to start a gym. And I hear this all the time from my students. Uh, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to own a gym. I said, what, how are you going to get there? Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do personal training and that's going to get me there. I'm going, 
you, you can't make enough money and stuff. You have to be business savvy. You have to learn the business. Uh, and like you said, shadow people like you. Uh, talk to people like you. Make a, a call a, a, a successful gym owner and, and sit down and talk to them for an hour. Take them to lunch or, or, or a coffee. Uh, so again, don't think you're going to be successful right out of the, or rich by doing this. I'd say don't be trendy. Again, understanding the basics and then uh, finding your niche, what you really are passionate about. I know people that just absolutely love working with older people. When I was doing the certification uh, seminars, I had a couple from Chicago come in and uh, their niche was pregnant and post-pregnant women. And it was a couple. So, and they'd had kids, they understood it. They were, they both looked the, the, uh, the, the picture. I mean, they were both fit and this woman had a couple kids and she looked great. Again, they knew, I, I knew they were going to be successful because they, they were so point on on what they were going to do. So I think understanding what part of the business you want to go into, but that goes for everybody. I mean, I, I know people that say, I want to do sales, but then you go, what kind of sales? Do you want to do business to business? You want to do personal sales? Do you want to be a car salesperson? You know, things like that, knowing what you want to do. And if, if you think it's just one big circle of what you're going to do, uh, and you're just going to jump into it, it it's, you're not going to be successful because you have to have a passion for what you're doing. Think that you know everything and not get educated, not continual, uh, continually educate yourself. Uh, I see people do that all the time. You know, they think they know everything. Yeah, and you can't. And, and I made that mistake when I bought the gym. I thought I, I had big business-to-business -business sales experience, training from former G executives had already run my training business and made money with that. Mm -hmm. And, and then it was, Oh my gosh, where do we buy soap for the locker rooms? And where do we get this? And this is broke. And how do I like, yeah, the learning curve in my arrogance and conceit initially, I, I was very humbled very quickly. Yes. And if you're not, if you're not willing to be humbled, you're close. Uh, you're going to fail very quickly. You're close. Like it, and that's that's the way it works in the real world. Is you're yep. done. Yep. You know the bank, the the landlord will take your space back. They'll seize the equipment. Uh, you, <laughs> the creditors and the bank will be looking for you if you put your home up and your assets. Those those won't be yours anymore. So, you you're done. All right. So I I think uh, not having a plan would be number one. If I looked at don'ts, if you don't have a plan and I teach this, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I teach the circle of uh, management. And the first thing you do is figure out one, who you are, what your niches are, what your passions are. And then the next is plan strategically of what you want to accomplish. And then have a plan to revise your plan. Exactly. And in fact, that's the circle of management is uh, the last thing you do is uh, replan. <laughs> so figure out what you did right, figure out what you did wrong, and then create a new strategic plan. And that's on a, on a regular basis. So one of the, the interesting things you listed was the, the person that says, I'm going to open a gym and how are you going to get there? I'm going to be a trainer. And they've probably at, at the time they're saying that I've had little experience as a trainer and right. in all likelihood, zero experience as a gym owner. And right now I'm seeing a lot of clients struggle with 
there people that want to do a certain thing, especially with digital sales. So selling, you know, internet products, goods and products, they don't, they've never had the experience on the gym floor. So if they want to be an online coach or trainer, they've never had it much experience on the gym floor. So they're, they're trying to put something out there in the ether. Maybe it's a course, it's a program or whatever. And they're, they're very biased by what they think the market wants, but because they've never been out there amongst the people, if you will, they're not putting out what the market wants. Right. Right. They don't know their arrogance says, I know what uh, my client wants instead of asking the client, but they've never, and they've never had any clients to even ask them. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's the number one thing about sales. Um, is uh, talk to your client first. And that's the difference between selling somebody and servicing somebody. You will always get the sales with a service as opposed to the sale. Right. And you don't take a middle-aged adult that hasn't worked out in a gym and have them do lunges right? as an example, because they won't be able to move the next day. Right, right. Well, also uh, along that, I have uh, inner ear issues. I can't do lunges. So if I found out that uh, what kind of conditions would limit your exercise, and I'd say, well, you know, I'd have no balance. I have a a problem with balance. You're not going to have me doing, you know, Bulgarians, and you're not going to have me doing uh, lunges and walking lunges and stuff because I literally fall down. With experience, one, you're, you, are where you need to ask those questions. But then two, and and it took me probably two decades to learn this. Maybe not that long, maybe a decade and a half. When somebody tells you they've got an inner ear issue and their balance is screwed up and therefore they can't do lunges and Bulgarian split squats, they're not lying. Right. It's not something because you're 21 or you're 24 and you don't have that issue. You're like, suck it up, just work through it. Right. Like they can't, there is no working through it. They're going to fall over. Right. And I'm going to get hurt. And that's why I don't put those. I'd love to put those because they're great exercises. I'd love to put them in my uh, uh, repertoire of exercises for legs. I can't do it. But if you can't, if the client can't do it, they can't do it. And and there is, and along with the experience, again, there is a point where you begin to, you have the formal education certification and the knowledge that comes from that. But then you also have had time in the field where you can start to understand when the person is telling you the way it really is and when the person's telling you you, the way they want it to be because they don't want to do a challenging exercise. And there's going to be a difference. And until you've stood on the floor and worked with enough people, you'll struggle to see that. Right. If I had a young coach or trainer, he was in the gym three mornings a week with one of his one-on-one clients and I noticed the guy never trained legs and I asked I'm like does I don't recall that client having back or leg issues and yet I never see any leg activity going on why my trainer's response was well he doesn't really like legs so we're 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 spending that time doing more arm work and I'm like well that's not congruent that's not in line with what that client said his goals were Right. You can't say, you know, I, I would like to lose 10 pounds and then over consume cake cookies and ice creams every day. It doesn't work that like he can't come in and say, I want to accomplish these things. 
And oh, by the way, I don't want to do this. Well, well, doing that is part of the path to get what he wants. Like we need to deliver. So fix it. Well, and I think that's part of where uh, formal education and and uh, on the job education comes is if I have a client that has a, a hip issue, hip pain, they're looking at a, a hip replacement in a year. Uh, how do I isolate the hip? but still work the, the quads and the hamstrings. You know, what exercises can I do and the glutes and what exercises can I do? And so you go out and you do your own education to figure out those things. And then you bring it back in and, and offer that client those services. Yeah, And, and that's service as opposed to sales. And you won't be able to learn that. The education and certification is too broad. Right. You know, they, not everybody may see a client with that type of hip concern. So therefore they're not going to dedicate a whole part of the education to working with somebody with that exact hip issue. But from experience, you'll start to build your library of exercises to do and exercises to avoid when somebody has got an issue like that. And then the only way you get there is experience body fat caliper testing, which I think in a lot of ways is, is all but gone by the wayside. Right. Right. Of it's too much time that, and because of the electronic technology, which by right. the way is, is fraught with error and inaccuracies. Um, so that means that all the handheld by electrical impedancings, it doesn't matter the name brand, the device They're they're not, right. they don't give you an accurate number. They're too influenced by hydration, electrolytes, uh, body hair from one of the devices, et cetera. Right. But the calipers, and we saw this, you know, I, I had done skinfold body fat testing with clinical calipers five or 10,000 times, maybe in the last 20 yeah, some years. Me too. And somebody that knows how to do it, the test knows how to work the calipers, but has not done it many times. Their numbers will be incorrect. They will be grabbing right. more than just the adipose tissue, which is all they should be measuring. Right. And that too, from experience for our organization at the time, I had a few coaches that could accurately had a lot of caliper body fat testing experience. If we did the testing it was fine, but I didn't realize this initially. And I would have new coaches and trainers do it. And somebody would, be on track, losing weight, happy with the results, they would come in and they'd get this completely out of left field body fat analysis by an inexperienced staff member. And they would think they gained 10 pounds of fat. Right. And they'd be defeated. So our, our first step was until people have had adequate experience in training and practice, they can't do body fat. It's right. just the way it is. Then we have to also have a system to deal with that individual that's completely defeated now and thinks that they've invested all this time, effort, energy, and hard work, and it's going the wrong direction. Right. And, you know, I mean, we both have clocked a lot of uh, hours doing that. Uh, even us uh, that do have experience, we still make mistakes, especially with somebody that is um, over 20% because the, the fold is not 90%. Uh, it may be 50%. Right. And, it's, and there's and, error there. And, and even that, that, you know, back to the experience piece, 
So, in, you know, looking at our conversation for those that are interested in getting into, and, and this really applies to any industry, I, I believe there's always a ticket. You know, when I go and guest speak or lecture, I always say when people ask, you know, you have to have a ticket to get into the amusement park or they won't let you ride the rides. So you got to get the ticket. So if you want to work in collegiate strength, one of the tickets is CSCS, another right. ticket's a master's, another ticket's USAW. If you you want to work for a, just a gym, well, the ticket might be a certification, but you have to have that first. And then the next right. thing is the experience component. And that repeatedly has come up with coaches and trainers that I've talked to is they they all have said, they didn't get enough of the business piece and they didn't get the enough of the, how do I apply the exercise with varied populations? And they, they started to get that once they got experience in the field. Great. And I think it's funny. I, I, I remember you coming into my class a couple of times and people would say, Oh yeah, I want to be a personal trainer. I want to work in a gym and stuff. And, and the first thing you asked was, do you have the ticket? Do you have a certification? They said, no. And, you know, you being you, you said, well, you can't be a personal trainer then if you don't have a personal training certificate and you're worthless to the gym owner because they don't want to pay for that. Um, no, in, and I always looked at it. That was my first litmus test. If somebody says they want to go do this and you tell them it's going to take a little investment in terms of time, right. energy, effort, and maybe a little bit of capital, if they're not willing to invest, I don't have room for them because I already know, you know what, that goes back to diluting, watering down the customer experience. And if, if I don't over deliver to my customers, right. I don't make money. And if I don't make money, I can't pay my bills. And in right. part of, by the way, people that are against making money, part of my bills were making payroll. So right. I needed to, to make money to pay my people. So if I got the wrong person on the bus, it would compromise customer experience. It would impair our ability to generate revenue. And then I'd have to get rid of them. Yeah. So one of the first ways to verify if they should even be considered to get on the bus, do they have a ticket? You want to work right. as a coach or a trainer? Are you certified? Starts right there. No. And, and this is what I deal with on a regular basis with our students is, do you have experience uh, in an internship or a volunteership uh, in the sport industry? And if you don't, you're nobody. And I would never hire you as in an actual job. I may bring you, and this is the, the funny part, is I get students that get their degree, don't have anything on the resume, and all they can get is an internship. They can't get a full-time job because nobody's hiring you because you have no experience. And, and part of that is, you know, in that situation, the opportunity is go take the internship because right, right. that's you the ticket to. to get to the employment. Right. And, and if you do a good job at that place, they may they, hire you. And maybe and that's the that. ticket that they're trying to offer you. They're we, actually offering you a free ticket. <laughs> we did we did that many times. I mean, probably yeah. 40 or 50 percent of my hires in my total organization came from our internship program, which yep. was very robust. And that's of our total employees, of our coaches and trainers. It was probably 80 or 90 percent of our hires were right former interns and even going back to the classroom component i went in and spoke 
and a, there was a student in class. I had said, you know, anybody in here that's not making, and I don't remember what the dollar amount was at that time. It was just, I said, just above whatever the state of Illinois minimum wage was. If you want to make more over the sun, summer, get certified as a trainer and go see somebody like me. Well, there was a student in that classroom, heard me say that, got certified, called me, said, hey, um, you spoke to my class. This is my name. I got certified. I'd like a job. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, you came and spoke. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, come on in. We'll interview you. So he showed up, resume, interview, had gotten certified. We hired him. He worked the rest of his bachelor's education with us. So he's still finishing his bachelor's. Worked for us full-time, got into the master's program, got a master's degree can work while working for us full-time and graduated with a master's and at his wedding his dad told me that he had no student debt because he came and got a job that paid far more than minimum wage with us right and was able to work his way through his bachelor's degree and continue to work his way full-time through his master's degree great and and that's why i tell students uh, on day one of my class uh, my management class is i know who's going to win and who's going to lose because if you don't take my advice on, on day one, which means get experience, whatever. Uh, if you need certification, I have students that want to be strength and conditioning coaches. Have you been on the, over to the strength and conditioning room? Talk to the coaches. If you don't do that, you won't win. The people that do that, it, it, as you said, it's easy. There's already prescribed ways to do things. There's a ticket you have to have. And if you don't have that ticket, you will not be uh, successful. And we could, and we can disagree whether or not the ticket provides any value. And that's right, it's right. legitimate it's to di- have ticket. a discussion or an argument like, Hey, it's completely useless. That being said, if the industry says you have to have that ticket, right. You can disagree with it. You may not learn a thing. It may cost you a bunch of money, but you have to have the ticket or you're out. Right. Well, it's like hiring a professor uh, because I've I've done that before, and you put out the notice, and then people with bachelor's degree apply, but you say you have to have a doctorate degree to get this job, and they think just because they love sports, they're going to get a job as a professor in sport management, <laughs> and and uh, you take their resume and you just put it aside and go, they're not they're not going to be. And I the, won't even read it. And that conversation for people that have never hired before, right. they don't understand like you. You know, I, I remember doing this many, many times in more than more than one industry for more than one business. I was involved with our own. Depending on what the position is, you you could get a large number of applicants and you have to sort the applicants somehow. Right. And right. It, if that somehow means there's a, a bar that has to be overcome, there's a barrier to entry, there's a requirement to have a certain ticket, i.e. you have to have a master's, you have to have a PhD, the first thing you're going to do is sort out everybody that has the ticket. So if the teaching position, the professorship requires a PhD, the first thing you're going to do is pull out all the PhDs. And a lot of times the rest of the resumes and applications go right in the garbage. Right. And you, because you have to sort everybody somehow. Right. And I actually teach that. I, I, I teach a HR kind of um, personnel 
part of my management class about how to get people in your organization that are qualified and stuff like that. And the first thing is, as a business owner, you have to write down what qualifications you require, what qualifications you would like, and then you sort through the required first, and then the the cream of the crop comes with the qualifications you and, want. And you will not, like people that have never had to hire won't understand this, but there were times I would get a stack of resumes and applications like this. And you have like you you will not have time to interview everybody. If no, you get 30, you 40 applications and resumes, if you're operating the business, you're functioning in operations on a daily basis, unless you're the HR director or an HR manager or whatever, that that's different. All you do is the employment piece. Right. But if you're an owner operator of a business like I was, I didn't have time. So immediately I had to define what, what were my minimum requirements to get in. And then that was the first thing I, I looked for on the resumes and applications. Who's got the right. minimum? Okay. They go in this pile, everybody else. I wouldn't throw them out. They would get filed. And sometimes I'd go through those later if I was desperate or maybe, maybe they had experience somewhere else. Maybe they had another ticket. And I'd save right. it and down the road. I'm like, Hey, I remember we had someone apply and they had this experience. I'm going to go find that resume and application. I'm going to call them, but you got to sort the pack because you won't have enough time to interview and interact with everybody. Right. Uh, first time I hired uh, a professor, uh, I had uh, at least 37, almost 40 applications. One was qualified. Right. And if you think because about I that, had specified the exact qualifications and one was qualified. And if you're teaching full-time, you don't like, you already have a full-time job. The hiring thing is on top of that. When are you going to interview right. 37 people? You're not right. It's and, an impossibility. And like I said, I had specifically stated, this is a course you have to be able to teach because I couldn't teach it. And, uh, there was one person that had actually taught that course. And, that's, and, and I actually interviewed him and stuff, wanted to hire him. He actually got hired by somebody else because he was so qualified. The rest many, of them probably never get a job. Many people won't understand that because they've never had that stack of resumes come in and right. realize there's just not enough hours in a day. So you have to be willing to define what's required and then use that as your first measuring stick to weed out the masses. Right. And, and it, I think uh, people that haven't hired somebody – they don't understand the idea that if I hire wrong, I have to fire that person. And that, as you well know, is not a pleasant experience. It's not, it's not pleasant in what those listening to this, to this need to understand. And, and this is true, regardless of industry, if right. you are in business, the scorecard is the bank account and people don't like talking about money and oh, money's bad. Well, the reality of it is, I couldn't make payroll without money. I couldn't pay the rent without money. I couldn't invest in improving my business without money. And, and hopefully my time was worth something and I could get a check to pay my own bills too. Well, where do we get the money? We The money comes from satisfied, happy to pay us customers. Right. If you bring in an employee, back to the bus example, if you let the wrong person on the bus they're going to negatively impact the delivery of, of goods and services to your customers. And that's going to hurt your revenue. So that's the first thing, like you, as the business owner, my job is to keep the customers happy. 
because without happy customers, I have nothing. So I need to do that. And if I bring somebody in and they're not making the customers happy, one, I just failed my number right. one objective. And then two, I have to get rid of them. So now I have to establish and demonstrate typically in writing well document why employee XYZ is, is under delivering for the position they were hired for. And then I have to wait it out. Well, they continue to under deliver to my customers before I can finally go ahead and get rid of them. Right. And it's, it's extremely costly and it, it hurts your customers. No, I, I had to fire a friend of mine because, um, they weren't uh, in ticketing. You have to balance. So if you're sitting there selling tickets, uh, you have to have the amount of money that you have for ticketing. You have to have that in your box. And uh, he had screwed up several times and and significantly, where he was either short or long. And in ticketing, you can't be either. You have to be on on the 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 basis of of the ticket sales. And um, he also missed work once, uh, an, an event, which put me in a terrible bind. And I sat him down. I said, you know, I'm going to have to fire you. But that is not a pleasant experience. Plus, now you have to hire another person. Right. And you're short for a while. And that that right there is probably the most under-discussed, most costly thing in the operations of business is when you have a position filled and you have to remove somebody that doesn't belong in that position and then replace them. Right. Every one, if you're replacing them and they didn't leave on their own accord for to pursue other things or whatever, but one, they've probably been under delivering. So right. now they've, they've compromised the customer experience, which costs the business money. And then two, you might be without somebody in that position, which is going to further compromise customer experience three it's going to divert, divert time and resources to attracting uh, hiring and onboarding a replacement which further compromises customer experience and it just keeps getting worse and it's terribly expensive right oh and and it, also morale uh if if because they're going to be friends with people that work there and then they get fired and then everybody goes god am i going to get fired or uh why did they get fired you know, am I going to get uh, fired eventually for well, uh, even not even doing what they did? In so there's that, distrust now between uh, client or uh, employee and management. In your in your culture, usually if you exactly. if you let a bad apple on the bus, right, and you've got some in the middle apples, it's a matter of time before you end up with more than one bad apple. Right. And you can't again. So now back to that customer experience, it just keeps getting worse for the customer and delivering to your customers is job number one. And this, and I would say, you know, that's going to be true really in, in, on the academic side of things as well. I mean, your, your job and responsibility should be to deliver to the students. Right. And it, it so it doesn't matter the industry. It, at the end of the day that, you know, we, we all serve somebody and we look at employees, you get one bad apple you, real quick. You can have two and it, it's just going to compromise customer experience, which is going to take, it's going to reduce revenue. It's going to take money right. out of your pocket. Well, and in, in, in our industry, in the education, it's progressive. So you have to know a basis of information to go to the next level. And we've had uh, some professors that 
just weren't doing that. So the problem was, is that the next professor had to teach the basis and the fundamentals while they're teaching the, the advanced. And that compromises both their teaching and the students. And so uh, we have a system in, in higher education to kind of deal with that. That's called tenure. Uh, and you know, if you're untenured, you're on a year-to-year -year contract. And I've been involved in three firings of, of faculty because they refuse to do their job, essentially. Well, and you can't, you know, it goes back to if some students arrive at the next class prepared and some students arrive and they're underprepared. It's a mess. Now, in that next class, who does the professor teach the course to? Right. Those that are prepared or do we take a step back and under deliver to the prepared so we can right. bring the underprepared up to speed? Like you can't, you, you can't do that. And in the business world, you know, at the end of the day, if you, you behave that way, the answer is you're closed. Right. It, it, no, I agree. And, and unfortunately, uh, uh, we run into that in higher ed. You run into every business, but, uh, you know, it, it's critical for us as, as a progressive uh, learning experience to deliver the basics and then give the advance. And, Again, like you said, we don't go out of business, but if we were a private industry, we would go out of business. You would close. didn't take care of that problem. People would elect to spend their money elsewhere. Right. So that's, you know, it's it's critical. And, and these things too come from experience for that gym owner, hopeful gym owner to be that person that's not yet a trainer, but says they're going to be a trainer and then own a gym. These yeah. are all things that are, that you have to learn. And you're not, these are things that typically aren't covered in a certification or classroom. Well, in fact, because of it, it it's related to the certification concept. Uh, we have uh, textbooks in higher education and in education in general. I've chosen not to use textbooks anymore because they're written by people that have never done the job and they have a different agenda than teaching the specific topic. And so I actually, uh, for my graduate management class, I wrote my own book uh, in the form of a PowerPoint. One, it delivers better information, MBA level information that's current, uh, because I use the current experts in the employment field. And uh, it's also free to the student. So they well, don't spend the $160 for a worthless textbook. But the, I think the bigger, the money doesn't matter. I mean, if, if the investment produces a return, the one six. Oh, no, no, I agree. But I, the I bigger law, thing is book, uh, the, but, uh, a book that I actually am in, but it's a top law book because it has law in it. But to take and combine the best practices, that's where the best opportunity is. Again, I think that's a short shortcoming that we see in, in industry. Like it's, and that's kind of the whole idea of, of me doing these podcasts and webcasts. It's bring industry leading executive entrepreneurs, small business owners on and let them share best practices and then right. let people learn from a variety of best practices. Like here's an example. Exactly. I had years ago, I had a client owns a small business, has a partner, they're 50, 50, super successful. I don't know how many employees they have, a couple dozen employees, probably definitely seven figures a year in revenue. I would say probably eight figures a year in, in annual revenue. 
So decent sized small business. And he told me for his industry, he knew that if they didn't lose 20% of the work they bid and quoted on, their price was too low. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Like you have to know those things. And I had a client two weeks ago. They had said that everybody they were talking to was becoming a client. So they had a hundred percent closing rate. And I said, okay, that tells me there are two problems. One, you're not talking to enough people and two, your prices are too low. And instead of just volume, which you can survive on, but then you also you can only exhausted. the only people that survive on volume are is Walmart. Right, right. And uh, that's my point though. You're you're a business owner. You're going to be exhausted because you you're dealing with so many people. Correct. And that's a concept of niching and then knowing your price point. Correct. That people are wanting to spend the money for that expertise that you, you provide and that service that you provide. Yep. So, yeah, and, and that's critical because uh, do you want to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week? Well, and you can't. In, in no. that, that, too, we tell clients that, I get a lot of coaches and trainers that are convinced that they're the only ones that can deliver the service that I used to believe that too. It's not true. I changed our business model. We five X our service revenue with me doing little to no service delivery. Um, so you, right, you going 24 hours other people can't have a key. And, and the other thing is, is if you're always working in the business, you're, you're going to be handcuffed to trading your time for money which the only way to grow the business and make more money is to work more and more hours. And you eventually right. arrive where you said, where you're working a 12 or 18 hour day, which successful people do for a period of time, but in the beginning, can't in the beginning. Yeah. If you like our content be sure to subscribe to our channel leave us a comment below also be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast provider see the links in the description below